The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our scripture this morning is Acts chapter 3. And I'll be preaching on the first 16 verses, so hope you brought some snacks. Follow along with me. I encourage you to look at the text as I read it. And as I preach, keep it open. Let's look at the Word of God together. Acts chapter 3, verse, verses 1 to 16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a, lame, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Would you join me in prayer? So, Father, what a delight to again feast together in our posture, our stance of worshiping you together. And as we come to your word, we want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. And so it's with great delight that we embark on this meal 
of your word together. Jesus, he said, I am the bread of life. And John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So in many ways, this is a feast on Jesus, on the word of God. So come and meet us and help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Ming Jin. I'm one of the pastors here at the downtown campus, and it really is a delight to be with you. We are preaching through the book of Acts, and so we pick up here in Acts chapter 3. Um, let me begin with a story uh, for this morning. I, I love hearing stories. I think you guys like hearing stories. I love telling stories, I should, I should say. So uh, this is a story about my uh, uncle in Taiwan. And my wife and I, we jokingly call him the uncle who knows everything. No matter what you're talking about, if he hears you talking, he will immediately chime in. Which, as you know, means not right, not right, not right. He will then correct you with his superior understanding of whatever it is you were talking about. Uh, I have heard him talking about harvesting bananas and how to raise wild boar and uh, running a small business, his bakery, and how to manage marital conflict. Uh, this guy is convinced that he is the top expert in every field. Do you guys know someone like that? Maybe it's me. Um, so it was with great dismay that one day in Taiwan, after I had helped my grandmother move a dresser from her house to my auntie's house that I had a headache and I let slip in front of my uncle who knows everything I have a bad headache now I'll tell you it, it was it was terrible I remember this it was terrible I am prone to suffering from migraines in fact when naproxen sodium a leave was invented it, it really changed my life Nothing helped before that. Uh, it's the kind of headache, I remember, I can't move my body. Because if I move my body, my heart rate will increase and I can feel it pulse in my brain. That, that's how it feels. Um, I can't hear anything. I, I need absolute silence. Did you guys ever play Street Fighter 2? It's like Guile's sonic boom right into E-Honda's face. Like, that's how even a whisper sounds. I can't see light. I have to cover my eyes because it feels like it's burning into my brain. So that's the kind of headache that I had. So, of course, the uncle who knows everything knew at that moment exactly what to do. Now, he had recently become a Christian in Taiwan. And I remember, so he got up, you know, like really big, and he pulled up his pants, and he slipped on his flip-flops. And he came over, and it, I mean, it was dramatic, right? And he had this big dramatic, and he put his hand on my head, and he said, Amen, which means, in Jesus' name, Amen. I thought to myself, oh, brother. <laughs> but then, the worst possible thing that could have happened, happened. As soon as he was done with that big performance, I, I kid you not, I could feel that headache leak out of my head. From the top of my head 
to the bottom of my jaw. More on that story later. Our passage this morning is Acts 3. And this passage, like most of the book of Acts, is a narrative. It's a story told to us by Luke. And in this narrative, I see three movements. Okay, you can look down at the text to me. The first ten verses is a miraculous healing. It's a story about this healing. Verses 11 to 12, Peter redirects misplaced awe, misplaced worship to, to where it should be. Not on me, not even on the miracle, on Jesus. And the last four verses, 13 to 16, he does the redirection by testifying to resurrection power. So our passage this morning picks up directly from where we left the early church, Acts 2, Pastor Jared's sermon a couple weeks ago. They were going to the temple day by day. It was during one of these daily trips to the temple in the ninth hour where this story happened. So we're going to very quickly review just the facts of the story. Peter and John were going in. There was a man who was lame from birth. The man saw them. Uh, It was this man's practice to beg at what frequency? Look at your text. Daily, near the gate, for money. When Peter and John passed this man, he saw them. He asked them for money. Peter replied, I have no gold, no silver, but what I give to you, but what I do have I give to you. He heals him. Peter took the lame man's hand, performed a miracle in front of everyone. The man was healed. He leapt up. He began to praise. And then Luke tells everyone who witnessed, he tells us that everyone who witnessed this was filled with wonder and amazement. So there's the facts. I shared last week, I often look at the text with Catherine and arc it out, or we do what I said, discourse analysis together and So quick confession. (laughs) This is not leftovers, I promise, okay? But I preached the sermon two weeks ago at another church. They happened to be uh, in Acts 3 as well, but I I freshed it up, you know, I I made it into a hot dish. Um, Promise. So as I made observations about this text, uh, the first observation uh, I wrote was this. Peter and John noticed the lame man's need. Look at your text. Search your text. Peter, this is my observation. Peter and John noticed the lame man's need. Is that true? Is that in the text? Can you prove my observation from what Luke gave us? Is that how it happens? It's not true. And to be frank, I was, I was surprised by that. So I wrote down my observation, and I came back to it, and I said, that, that's not true. In fact, we might find that the opposite is true. What does Luke tell us about the connection, the relationship between this man and the apostles, Peter and John? We see in Acts 2.46 that the early church is going to the temple day by day, day by day. 
And then we see in Acts 3, 2, this man was also at the temple day by day. And then that fact of the man's presence at the temple and the effect of always being there at the temple is further corroborated, testified to, congruent, fitting, in chapter 3, verse 10, the people recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. It kind of reminds me of Ronnie. Do you guys know Ronnie? Some of you know Ronnie. Ronnie walks uh, up and down Hiawatha uh, at 24th. Yeah. Some of you guys know Ronnie. He always walks like this. He's always waving. He's asking for change every day. So one day when I saw him in our worship gathering, I said, hey, Ronnie, you came to church today. I'm so glad that you're here. This lame man begged for alms every single day of his life at the temple. He did it so much that the people recognized him. So here's the conclusion, okay, an inference from the text. Peter and John probably passed the same man dozens of times, right? Every day. So what's my point? My original observation about the story wasn't an observation at all. Peter and John did not notice the lame man's need. Not before today, anyways. Not before the lame man called out to them. It wasn't Peter and John who initiated the miracle. I falsely observed that. Bible students, take note. Why did I do that? Maybe because that's what I wanted to see. Maybe because I'm bringing my own expectations about how Christian leaders or Christian people should be into the text. That's not what Luke is reporting to us. Why does that matter? Well, I mean, it matters a lot. But it matters because when we see things that aren't in the text, we are adding to God's word. Not okay. And we are missing what God is telling us. And that would be a huge loss. So this story is not an allegory. You guys know what an allegory is, right? Well, I didn't, so I had to Google it. An allegory is a story, a poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political meaning. It's easy to want to read this story as an allegory. I think that's what I started doing. It's a, I wanted to read it as a story told in a particular way to highlight just what we want to model, to exemplify for future generations of Christians just exactly what we want them to think. It's tempting to try to milk the story for all that it's worth, to find lessons in every phrase. It's tempting to put ourselves, for instance, in the place of the lame man, that we ought to call out to God. It's tempting to highlight Peter's first utterance, look at us, and say, you ought to look at God. It's tempting to talk about how silver and gold are nothing when compared to our health and how we ought not to be so materialistic. It's tempting to think about how Peter took the man's hand and how somehow that may have made Peter unclean, but he's willing to do it anyways because he loved the dude, or how God touches us. So many of these allegorical connections might very well be true. I don't mean to minimize them, but don't miss this. 
Luke did not record this story for us as an allegory. In fact, let's not call it a story at all. The word story allows us to choose whether or not we want to believe it. But that's not a choice that Luke is giving to us. How do I know that? He tells us plainly about his own words at the beginning of this book. Luke 1. I thought we were next. Remember, Luke acts. Right? The acts of Jesus while on the earth. The acts of Jesus after sending into heaven. So, go to Luke 1. Let me read for you. I'll, I'll go quickly. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The book of Acts, according to its author, is an orderly account. And it has a motive. It has a purpose. He's doing it so that we, or Theophilus, but us as well, can have certainty. So what can you be certain of as you read the first ten verses of Acts? You can be certain that there was indeed a man born lame, and that that man was profoundly healed by the power of Jesus' name. You can be certain that this man saw Peter and John. So right there at that gate. Which gate? The beautiful gate. What time? About 3 p.m. So what happened first? Well, the dude called out to Peter and John. And then what happened? Peter took him by the hand. Oh yeah, which hand? The right hand. Uh, then what happened? Well, his feet and his ankles were made strong. Well, how did he get up? He leapt out of bed. Right, Luke gives us these details in the exact way that they happened. He is like a stenographer, the court reporter that doesn't even look at the three keys they're pressing, right? He's like a stenographer writing down the testimony of the eyewitnesses. That's what he says. It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely, to write an account for you. This is not an allegory. And so though this story has happened a long time ago, I want you to know this. This story is no less true right now than when it first happened. And reading this testimony is meant to help your faith. We weren't there to see it, but God in his wisdom has given this to us. So Bethlehem, know it for certainty. There is power in the name of Jesus as demonstrated to heal that lame man. Amen? That's the main point for the first 10 verses. We'll move to the second part of our text now. So let me remind you where we're at. After a miraculous healing... Peter is going to redirect misplaced awe from himself and the miracle to Jesus. And then we'll get to the last part. So what happened after the miracle? Acts 3.11. While the formerly lame man clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. 
What's happening here? It's another stir, like Pentecost. Loud sound, big crowd. Amazing miracle, another crowd. This crowd has an attitude. They are astounded, right? At Pentecost, some of them were scoffing. I think they're drunk on juice, right? New wine. (laughs) There's a different crowd here. They're astounded. And they come running to Peter. And the text says, when Peter saw it, it is a pronoun. Pronouns are put in place of either an idea or an object. Give it to me, what, that milk or whatever. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. What does it refer to? It's, it's clear what he saw. People running with their jaw dragging behind. Okay? Peter saw the awe in the people. He sees that they want someone to solve their problems. They want someone to be in awe of, someone to worship. And Peter is sensing that the crowd has turned their astonishment at him, not toward God, where Peter know it belongs. And that's why Peter addresses them. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? What's the this? There's another pronoun, right? The miracle. Why are you wondering at the miracle? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? You see how he's about to move the focus, right? This is a key moment in the formation of the church. A key moment in the identity of what a Christian leader should be. How should a minister of the gospel respond when God is moving? How should a faithful Christian respond to success? So imagine, you got to put yourself here. Peter's like this amazing healer dude, right? He simply touches a guy and the guy is no longer lame. And now everyone is looking at him. So think about yourself for a moment. Have you ever been in a position like that? You've worked hard. You have had setback after setback, but one day, something big happens. You get your break. And you've started to get the recognition that you've worked so hard for. Now you have some influence, some power. Over a hundred followers on Instagram. At this moment in Peter's life, he was at a crossroads. He had the opportunity to steer the astonished crowd in whatever direction he wanted. We use the expression putty in our hands, right? I can mold this the way I want. So what did he do? He pointed everyone away from himself and to Jesus. How did Jesus or did Peter have the wisdom and the ability to do that? Like why wouldn't he seize the power? This wasn't Peter's first crossroads. Remember, Peter was part of the inner circle with the rabbi, right? Jesus of Nazareth, the miracle worker, the one man fishery and bakery. He provided fish and loaves. I mean, Jesus was it, and Peter was right next to him. 
He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if anyone was going to be the man after Jesus, it was going to be Peter. So, in the garden, when they came to arrest Jesus, what is Peter thinking? This is it. It's my time. I'm going to show everyone what I can do. So he takes out his sword. This is the biggest irony, I think, in the Bible. I'm going to save Jesus with this sword. That didn't work too well for him. So, and Peter's story just goes downhill. Jesus told Peter ahead of time, you are going to deny me three times. What's Peter's response? It is the most hyperbolic response ever. Right? The biggest foot that he's preparing to stick into his mouth. Like, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But we know what happens. He does deny Jesus three times. And then when the rooster crowed, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Put yourself in that place. What was Peter weeping over? Peter was the hero of his own story. He swore that he was going to die with Jesus. He even took up a sword to begin the fight. But now he's cowering even before a servant girl. He talked big, and he got knocked out in the first round. And then he got knocked out in the second round. And then he got knocked out in the third round. Peter was a broken man. The reality of who he was began to set in. That is some bitter weeping. That's the end of myself. But that's not the end of Peter's story, is it? Jesus lovingly restores Peter. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And so gently, three times, Peter is forced by Jesus to say it. I love you. I love you. You know that I love you. How healing for Peter. (laughs) Jesus is a kind shepherd. (laughs) He's kind. He is kind and he is gentle. He allows Peter to come to the end of his bravado. He breaks Peter. And then he restores him. So now, in Solomon's portico, when the crowd is looking to Peter with hearts ready to follow him, there's no temptation. He's already been down that road. He knows where it leads. He knows the goodness, the gentleness, and the power of Jesus. So he points the crowd to a better Savior. It's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus. A Savior that was not just resurrected, but has healing power even in his name.
What about you? Have you met Jesus like that? Who has the power to save you from whatever situation you're in today? Put away your sword. Put away your power. Put away your piety. Put away your wallet. Put away your charm. Put away your good looks. I'll lead the way. Put away your strategies. Put away your great networking ability and your charisma. And let Jesus be a better Savior in your life. This is not in my sermon, but I, I, I feel like the Lord has met us even this morning. As we prayed downstairs, I, I, just, I, I began to think back to my early days here at Bethlehem. And I'd come to the early morning prayer meetings and you know, Tom Steller is there, and David Livingston is there, all, and John Piper is there, all of my pastors, and they're, and they're praying these prayers full of scripture and amazing words. And I'm like, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know if I should pray because my prayer is not that fantastic. And, and then we come here, and you know, our exegesis is well done. The order of worship is well done. Chris Gisler's voice is amazing. And there's just so much perfection here. Right? Like, I just kind of want to, like, shake it off. I kind of want to loosen up. We, as a church, we need to put that away. We are not perfect. We, we, maybe I got good words, but who cares? That, that is not the point. We, we need to go low. We need to recognize we are a humble, broken people. Maybe we got great Bible study methods, but that's nothing compared to our great God. Let us be a broken people. Put away our perfection and let Jesus save us instead. So we come now to the end of our passage. Instead of pointing to himself, Jesus preaches a message about, Peter preaches a message about Jesus. Yes, I messed up. It's good. He reminds the crowd of their story. Look down with me now. We're in Peter's, verse 13 to 16, Peter's sermon. Peter reminds, or excuse me, yeah, Peter reminds the crowd of their story. You delivered over and denied Jesus. You preferred Barabbas, the murderer, over the holy and righteous one. He accuses them. You killed the author of life. You know, I really enjoyed thinking about that this, well, three weeks ago now. <laughs> I really enjoyed thinking about that. You killed the author of life? How, how does that even work? That's like saying, you drowned Poseidon, king, god of the ocean. You, know, you drowned him. Or you electrocuted Thor, the god of thunder. How can this even happen? What happens when the author of life enters into death? 
What happens when death swallows up life? So here's an image for you. And it's a spoiler. And that's your own fault if you didn't watch The Mandalorian. <laughs> Season 2, episode 1, The Mandalorian is a bounty hunter. And he's given a mission to kill this enormous worm that lives in the sand. And he does everything in his power to kill it with everyone coming out with a gun to help him, and they just cannot do it. But the Mandalorian has a plan. He allows himself to be eaten with a beast of burden that is loaded with explosives. And the worm comes and eats both of them and goes down into the sand. And everyone looks around and says, now he's gone, he's dead. What are we going to do? But at the last moment, the monster emerges. The Mandalorian comes flying out and click. Right? The sound worm blows up. That's what it's like when you kill the author of life. It looked like Jesus died for three days because he did. He was gone. But it was not possible for death to hold Jesus. When death swallows life, death is swallowed up itself in victory. Back to Taiwan and my uncle who knows everything and my migraine that had to be healed. I, I did not want it to be true. You guys cheered. I didn't. I did not want my uncle, that guy with that character, to be able to do that. I I didn't want to tell him. I don't know if I even did. I did not want to tell him, you heal my headache. I didn't want to have to admit it to him. But do you know what I was missing? The most simple fact. It wasn't my uncle that healed me. I was just like the crowd that ran to Peter. I just ran the other direction. They saw Peter and they said, wow. I saw my uncle and I was like, (laughs) It's the same thing, just the mirror image. Misplaced awe, misplaced disgust. Jesus was the one that healed me. When Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead, he says it as a witness. This is not a story. It is not an allegory. It is an orderly account, and Peter is our witness. Luke is our scribe. Don't be like the crowd and miss Jesus in this story. Don't be like me and miss Jesus in my own healing. The lame man was healed by faith in Jesus' name. Jesus was still at work after his resurrection, after his ascension. So, three challenges for you as I close today. Number one, Bethlehem. Be certain that the author of life is also the destroyer of death. Listen to this Amazing. This is perhaps the most 
audacious claim anyone has ever made, ever. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. That's a claim of invincibility. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I control my destiny. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to lay, pick it up again. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah sees a vision. The train of his robe filled the temple. But then, in the Gospels, the swaddling cloths around that God incarnate barely fill a manger. And on Palm Sunday, the garments that he wore, they barely filled the saddle. And the death shroud that was wrapped around Jesus barely filled the tomb. He lays his own life down. And look at the difference. Look at the difference from a robe whose train fills the temple to barely anything. Just a small piece of cloth compared to his former glory. But he allowed himself to be killed. He made himself really, 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 really small and really weak for us. And one day, that same Jesus will come riding on a stallion and he will split the sky. And that white robe will fill the earth. The whole earth will be full of his glory. Challenge two. Be certain that the author of life is still publishing books. He is still saving souls today. He is still healing bodies today. And when you pray, he is still hearing you and he is still answering your prayers. Number three. Be certain that the author of life is worthy of your worship. Do not, like Peter did, fall into the temptation to think, I will save myself. I will draw my wallet. I will draw my charisma. I will draw out my hard work and my commitment and I will save everything. You will not. Instead, the joy of worshiping Jesus and allowing him to be your savior far exceeds the promise of the glory that you want to give yourself. Let's pray. Save us, Lord. You are the author of life. You wrote it. You continue to write it. We, 
I think I just want to stop and say, we want you to come back, Lord. Come and rescue us. And as you tarry, you have deep and wonderful purpose in it. And so give us faith to know, like Theophilus, as Luke intended, we can be certain that there is power in your name. We can have faith in your name. You hear us when we call. You save us. Help us to worship you. And as we do, fill us with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.